0: Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic.
1: All right, we're live. John Barklow, welcome to the show.
0: Thanks, Bo. Uh, Stoked to be here, buddy. Help you out.
1: Yeah, man. How are you, Ben?
0: been good been good you know kind of middle of summer and shooting a lot training a lot mostly in the mornings or late evenings it's been so hot out here yeah and uh you've you been having that hot kind of weather formalizing my hunting plans and yeah. yeah you guys been getting baked yeah yeah i didn't
1: know if it was the same out in uh in the west or not but it's been it's been pretty brutal here
0: yeah Where I'm living here in Montana it just maybe last week started getting hot so nothing to complain about a lot of good moisture, a lot of tall grass. Uh we're still getting rain, so you know the hope is that there's going to be really good antler growth and and uh cuz we we had a hard winter. We had a hard winter up here. Um but uh but yeah, getting excited the season's going to be here real quick. Antelope results just came out today. So drew my resident antelope tag and my buddy from Alaska drew his. So we'll be going after speed goats here in like
1: uh a month a little less. Oh wow, they don't give you much time once you find out you draw.
0: Well, last year they I think they don't quote me, but I think they told us like August second and the season started like the fifteenth or fourteenth, so <laughs> last year they were really late. Yeah. So this year's actually they give you plenty of time this year. <laughs>
1: yeah, and I guess I guess being a uh, a resident, it's not as big of a deal to plan far ahead, but I'm I'm sure you still like to know that.
0: Yeah. You know, like I said, my buddy's flying down from Alaska and he wants to buy a plane ticket. So, um, anyways, he, he was the one that told me today the, the draw results are out. So anxious to see. buying a ticket to come down, but, uh, yeah, it's cool. I, I may even, I may even end up doing a hunt, um, the very end of July on like, um, it might be like a deprivation tag, I think, but might be able to hunt some elk in the end of July. We'll see. More to follow on that, but hmm. I might be starting my season here real quick. Yeah,
1: that's, uh, yeah, another week or so. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. Well,
1: that's yeah, interesting. Days, so. so anyways, John, before we get too far into this here, do you want to introduce yourself a little bit and, then, uh, and tell the audience who you are if they don't know already?
0: Yeah, so right now I'm the big game product manager for Sitka Gear, which means, I basically manage the, uh, development of all the product that the big game line puts out, um, work with designers and developers and some of our athletes, ambassadors, uh, folks like yourself, right. Just working on product, getting ideas and and trying to lay out, you know, a line plan, uh, not only today and this year, but, you know, we're looking, some projects we're looking almost five years out on. So it keeps me busy. Um, also, you know, spent a lot of time in the military, um, trained a lot of special operations forces. So that allowed me to work on developing gear, um, not only developing gear and testing gear, but then also teaching people how to use that gear and then being able to observe uh, a lot of people and how they interacted with the gear. So, you know, maybe we had something, had a certain intent or we taught it a certain way but then we realized that you know the the majority of the people actually interpreted it a certain way or did it a different way um so we were i was really able to learn and adapt not just the way i i taught people but also kind of how the way we developed gear um and even how i utilized gear right because i got to see a lot of things that people did right and and wrong um and then prior to that i I grew up in Ohio and, uh, self-taught archery hunter, uh, struggled for many, many, many years on that, but, um, basically a lifelong bow hunter and, uh, just been a passion of mine for whatever reason, since I was a little kid. And, you know, every time I get a bow in my hand, I was just shooting before I jumped on the call with you and every time I get a bow in my hand and, and shoot an arrow, I'm just like a little kid again. So <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, it's kind of me in a nutshell.
1: Where did, um, where did you grow up in Ohio at just general area?
0: Uh, on the Eastern side of Cleveland. Oh, really? Um, yeah. Huh. Uh, Lynnhurst, South Euclid, those areas, menors kind of right in there. My brother still lives back there and my dad, but, um, you know, Obviously, I mean, at the time it was good whitetail hunting. It wasn't maybe as well known as it is now, mm-hmm. um, but we still had big deer, and they they out every one of them outsmarted me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny actually. I I do a lot
1: of work um, just on the southeastern side of Cleveland as well. So I was just in that area all oh, last really? all last week. Yep.
0: Oh, right on. Okay. Yeah. Yep. That's my old stomping grounds. Huh. So I, uh, last year I was able to go back and hunt Southern Ohio, which I'd never done when I was living back there. I went down and hunted Southern Ohio with, uh, with a guy, uh, Donnie Wilson, a good friend of mine and uh SITC ambassador, but just really big buck country Adams County. And, and, uh, you know, of course, as my whitetail luck kind of held out, I, I didn't, uh, I, I did see a couple shooters, but they never, they never got uh, close enough for a shot, but that was the first time I'd hunted Ohio and probably, yeah, almost 30 years. Really? So it was cool. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And it didn't, uh, didn't bring you any luck either, huh?
0: <laughs> no, whitetail, they, you know, certain species come easier for people, it seems for whatever reason. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, whitetail are one of those animals that they definitely make me earn it. Like there is no gimme. I'm not like a, an opening morning kind of guy. I'm like last evening of the 12th day of sitting all day, you know, and I'll, if I'm lucky, seal the deal. But
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think it might've been Donnie Wilson's doing too, you know, putting you in
0: a tree where no deer come <laughs> by. <laughs> he was man. He was so, he was so generous. I mean, we were, we were even hunting out a, a couple of his stands, right? Cause he had already tagged out. So if mm. the weather was right for that stand. He's like, go sit in my stand. I know, I know what, I know what's, I know what's in there, you know? And we did see, we did see one big deer for sure. Me and the other guy, we were hunting and, uh, boy, that deer, once he kind of got an idea that somebody was hunting him, he, he was not showing up again. He was like two miles away on a trail camera of the buddies. Really? Yeah. Yeah. It's wow. Pretty crazy.
1: Yeah. Well, anyways, um, so to go back a little bit, what you were saying about you were training, uh, you were training special operations. As far as w- what sort of training were you doing with them, and uh, and if if I'm correct, it was up in Kodiak, Alaska.
0: Yeah, so we were based out of Kodiak, Alaska, and I mean we we did travel uh, quite a bit to other mountain ranges to do more. I'll call it advanced training uh, for different units, but predominantly we taught in Kodiak. Um, predominantly it was, uh, to paint with a broad brush, we'll call it cold weather, definitely inclement weather, almost always up there. Um, taught, you know, uh, things like, um, basic survival, uh, land navigation, um, you know, how to, how to use and exploit terrain to your advantage, um, and not quote the enemies, um, how to, you know, wear clothing and, uh, nutrition and things like that for what the military would call mountain warfare. Right. So training guys to be able to go into, you know, essentially an unknown mountain range. I mean, obviously there's some knowledge, um, and be able to go in there and survive on their own. Um, not necessarily living off the land, but certainly if they had to, um, And, uh, you know, and, and leave and leave when, when the job was done, not when mother nature dictated that they had to leave.
1: Yeah. So you've been doing uh, quite a bit with, as far as building gear systems and testing them for quite a long time.
0: Yeah. So I've been doing that for 20 years now, which is kind of crazy to say, but, um, you know, back in the day when, when the war kicked off and all that, Uh, A lot of patriotism in the country. I mean, still is. But, you know, we had some amazing top of the line uh, technical outdoor brands, you know, reach out to us because we needed to basically upgrade all of our clothing and equipment and systems and techniques. And uh, so got to work with some, you know, amazing designers and developers and companies. Um, And uh, really, that's kind of what started me kind of down the development road, but, you know, did a lot of testing with those folks and kind of learned, learned a lot about fabrics and things like that. But like I said, and then we were able to take it to the field, which, you know, to me obviously was the more enjoyable part of it. Not that I didn't enjoy it all, but, uh, pretty cool, you know, from, from start to finish, we kind of, kind of got to do that.
1: Yeah. So anyways, John, I want to, I want to jump in a little bit back when, um, kind of when I first met you and, and before that, how kind of I got introduced to technical clothing. So it's, as you know, I mean, you come from Ohio when you were, when you were younger and getting into hunting, were you, were you really aware of, you know, what technical clothing could do for you or technical gear layering systems, or was that kind of, or was that kind of new to you?
0: You know, I really, I really didn't have a clue. Um, I was probably like everybody else back then, especially where I came from, you know, I, I didn't come from the mountains, uh, really didn't have a clue, did a lot of, you know, camping and exploring and, and backpacking, uh, me and my friends, but, you know, we were wearing cotton t-shirts and jeans and, you know, you name it kind of all the, the standard mistakes nowadays, but now I really didn't have an idea until I really my my interest was beginning to be piqued with, uh, mountaineering and, you know, those folks, that community certainly at a, at a higher level, they, they had already figured it out and, uh, and were beginning to, you know, have companies were sprouting up and they were beginning to figure that out and kind of start to talk about it. But, but yeah, it was, it was all pretty foreign to me back then.
1: I, I remember, I mean, up until probably even 2011, I think I, you know, I, I'd wore nothing but cotton stuff and, you know, maybe, uh, you know, a Gore-Tex jacket or something along those lines. But as far as layering systems were, I had zero idea on how it all worked. So I just always thought that when, you know, I wore my, you know, the old, um, surplus bdus out in the woods at and you know cotton underwear and a cotton t-shirt underneath underneath what i thought was a you know a synthetic performance you know base layer but i had cotton underneath it and and everything else that you know that's just the way it was you you get you know, sweaty and you never dry out when you get to your tree stand and and all of these other things. And, and again, I'm speaking from a, an Eastern perspective, mostly whitetail hunting, turkey hunting, things along those lines. But I just thought that's the way that it was. And, you know, if you if you were sweating, you know, walking into your tree stand, then you were basically screwed for the rest of the day. And, uh, and there was nothing you could do about it. And I think it was somewhere in Two thousand eleven ish is when I started getting introduced to it technical style clothing and synthetic base layers, but but still I wasn't, you know, completely grasping that, you know, cotton was the enemy for a lot of those things. And I I think it was around two thousand thirteen I was introduced to Sika Gear from a buddy of mine. Um, he s- sold me an old Stratus jacket, one of the original ones, and and you know I, I wore that with Windstopper in it, and that was my first you know, uh, I guess my first experience with that. And I did have some other synthetic base layers, and I was starting to grasp that idea of of what it's like to you know build a system, but still wasn't completely there. And when I started researching. Going out west in, I think in 2014 or 2015, I was really getting involved in it. And by that time, I started, um, you know, getting into some more uh, different clothing and some additional SICA pieces. And, you know, eventually started working for a a SICA dealer, uh, Bucks and Bows Archery. And when I went there is when I really started learning and really being intrigued on on the whole idea of how your body works with your clothing system. And, and if you have it set up correctly and know how your body works, it can be a well-oiled machine and you don't need to be as uncomfortable as uh, I originally thought that you did. And so with, with all that being said, I, I met you at the ATA show, I believe in 2016 and got talking and, and I think, uh, you just started spinning the wheels in my head, just sitting there going through and talking about all these different, uh, components and fabrics and how they work together. And I've, I've been obsessed with, you know, with learning about it and testing it ever since. (laughs) But yeah,
0: Yeah, no, I've, I've followed you. You've done, you've done some of the tests and, you know, posted them, um, I think on your Facebook page and some of those, some of those places. You know, and I'm not, I'm trying not to be demeaning to anyone, certainly, and not the community at large, but really, the hunting community is running at least twenty years behind where the mountaineering community is. Um, you know, they they've been doing this for a long time, and really, uh, and not just because I work for the company, but I'll give you know credit to the to the founders of Sitka, which was 2000 eight if i recall correctly but maybe a little you know maybe earlier than that but you know that they had this idea i mean a lot of us that were hunting out west already were wearing you know these these technical clothing pieces from you know these other brands art or patagonia or somebody like that um because we had kind of you know stumbled upon it like i kind of came into that actually through more of a mountaineering aspect Um, but they're kind of running 20 years behind. And so, you know, there's, there's all these companies that have sprouted up now that are making these synthetic technical pieces. And, you know, I don't know if it's, it's probably a little daunting to people to try to figure it out. Um, and, you know, podcasts like this maybe will help people kind of get a grasp of it. But it's funny you mentioned the cotton because the only, the only, the only rule I have that you shouldn't break when you build your own system is just make sure you do not incorporate cotton into that system. Um, you know, everybody's going to build something a little different, but you know, the cotton for the most part, um, for a white tail hunter or, or, a, a a Western mountain hunter, um, it's just not a good thing.
1: No. And that's, and that's the thing too, is, is that I definitely want to get the point across is it, it's not just for Western hunting it can have so many benefits from, you know, for even whitetail hunting. It, I mean, doesn't matter if you're walking a hundred yards to your stand or if you have to, you know, pack in three miles or so to to your stands in some of the Appalachian regions. It, it doesn't matter. It still is very important. And and again, even putting, you know, SICA as a company off to the side, just the idea of of building these systems that fit you and and understanding the concept basically of why you would do that and how it works is crucial and it's and i mean i i know the first time when i introduced my my dad to some of that stuff i mean he's one of the i would consider one of the most hardcore hunters of whitetail that you know that i've ever met and when it comes the rut i mean he never leaves the tree it seems like and he's just always out and comes back, come back soaking wet and everything else. And, and he never complained about it, but he, he wasn't, uh, wasn't real happy a lot of times. And once I introduced him to some of that stuff and, you know, switching to some different, uh, base layers and synthetic base layers and merino wool socks and, and the whole, the whole bit, it was like, I mean, it was tough for him to, uh, to come out and admit it, but he, he's like, this is a game changer. It's, uh, it's pretty Uh, amazing.
0: Yeah. Let me, let me tell you two stories. So you talked about Stratus system and you talked about obviously whitetail hunting and walking your stand. And so last, uh, well, it was two years ago, I guess when I was at Donnie's in Southern Ohio and there's a little pro shop there that these folks have. And so they sell some different things. And so a gentleman walked in and I happened to be in there and Donnie and I, and he wanted to buy some sick gear so anyways he ended up with the stratus system probably the most versatile in my opinion most versatile whitetail system you know that we have and he was so excited to go out the next morning so on that farm you don't drive anywhere in the morning you have to walk so you could walk up to you know half a mile i think this gentleman walked a couple hundred yards and uh so come back at noon or whatever and he's already back and changed out and Went and asked him how his morning went, and he said, not well. He said he was miserable. He said the sick of gear didn't work, and that he was cold the whole time, and he had to get down out of his tree early and come back. And uh, I was like, huh. I was like, that's interesting. I said, well, what did you wear? And he said, well, he had his cotton underwear on. He had blue jeans. He had a cotton T-shirt, and he put the Stratus over top of it, and he walked to his stand, and he didn't probably realize how warm that layer really is. He got sweated up, climbed into his tree all wet, and then stayed damp, you know, not the whole time, but long enough that he got chilled and decided he had had enough and got down. And, you know, he said the, the Sitka system didn't work, and I said, well, no, you just didn't utilize it properly, you know, and so we went through the part of educating him about You know, you have to wear synthetic base layers and this and that, and you have to, you know, make sure you walk comfortably, cool to your stand, blah, 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 and went through the process. And then, you know, the the next day climbs up in the tree or that afternoon, I guess, and, you know, had a much more enjoyable experience, but it took a little bit of, of education. You know, you can't just, it's not a Superman's cape, right? It's not just going to like magically make you warm or, you know, uh, breathe, you know, breathable uh, you know, no sweat kind of thing. You have to have some education. And then the second story is I had a lease with a couple friends in Northern Missouri and I was the only one at the time wearing sit gun. I didn't even work for the company then. Um, and so same deal, you know, we're there for 10 or 12 days and it's the rut. And so you want to spend every minute you can on stand. And like I told you, I have to stay there basically for 10 days before I see anything. (laughs) And, uh, So I'm there all day, every day, you know, just ride it out. And my buddies are getting in standard thing, getting in a couple hours, coming out, going back in the evening, coming out. And, uh, you know, they're seeing deer, but they're not seeing what, what they came there to see. And so my, my one friend asked me, he says, how are you able to sit there all day in like three layers of clothing and not just be freezing your butt off? He goes, I know you're not tougher than me. And I said, well. It's not about the number of layers I'm wearing. It's about the, the, the the, you know, the proper application of the layers. Um, so eventually, so we had the lease for several years. So eventually then before the next season, he's like, Hey, I'm going to buy some sick gear. What, what would you recommend? So I told him what to get. And, uh, sure enough, he goes there and all of a sudden he's sitting and stand all day. So then, the third guy wanted it. So now we're all sitting in the stand all day and they're like, yeah, you're right. You're, you, you know, you weren't tougher than us, but it's amazing that you can be this warm, this comfortable in this few layers. I can climb in my tree stand. I can draw my bow, you know, all these things I can, you know, just have a much more enjoyable experience. And then all of a sudden we were all becoming successful because obviously the more time you put in that time of year, right. Yeah. The, the better your odds are. So, um, It absolutely applies to the whitetail hunter. I don't care if you're walking, you know, two or 300 yards to your stand or two or three miles like you do sometimes, like you have to understand, you know, how it works and you have to have the right uh, clothing. It's your first line of defense really against the elements, right? Mm -hmm. So it's really critically important.
1: Yeah, no, that's exactly, and it's funny. Uh, when I first started wearing sick, I was I was in Southern Ohio with um, with my dad and some of his friends, and we were at camp. And I was using it's, it's not a whitetail piece, but I was using the Kelvin Light vest, and um, I had it sitting on the table. And he picks it up, and he's like, "Is this thing actually warm?" He goes, "It feels like a feather." And I was like, "He goes, if I found out in the woods, I would just leave it there." And he, he didn't know anything about you know Sika. Or, or, um, you know, what it was supposed to do. And I was explaining it to him and going through the process. I'm like, yeah, but when you, you know, you use this between, you know, your base layer and your mid layer, and then, you know, put a shell over top of it like that, it holds all that heat in. And and I was just, you know, going through and explaining the process, but that's really what I wanted to dive into on this podcast was kind of going through, um, from the base layers out to your outer shell and kind of, what the importance of each layer is and, mm-hmm. and again, and the, the same concept is basically across the board, whether you're, you know, again, hunting whitetails or you're hunting in the mountains of uh, Colorado or Montana, the concept seems to be the same, at least the way I look at it. It's just, um, just the pieces are a little bit different.
0: Yeah, no, I would agree. I would agree. Um, the, the basic concept is the same. I mean, really, any any clothing system that you're going to build starts with the base layer. So the base layer is, we'll call the base layer the one that's directly contacting your skin. And, you know, that's the foundation of whatever system you build, um, you should have a base layer. And no matter what the temperature is, right, you're going to have something that is the base layer. <clears throat> um, you can have synthetic and you can have wool. And, you know, that's a a discussion maybe unto itself. And, you know, some people, if they've heard me on other podcasts may think that I'm anti-wool and actually I'm not, I would say I'm pro-synthetic, but for whitetail hunting, um, you know, I tend to gravitate towards wool. Um, I just, I like, I just like the feel Love it you know against my skin when I'm sitting there for long periods of time I like that it's natural naturally antimicrobial which means you know it, it won't stink which obviously when you're whitetail hunting you're trying to do anything you can to mitigate the stink um, when I'm out west here or up north you know I, I prefer synthetic uh, just because it dries so quickly and that, that I know that you know when it gets wet either from sweat right or from some exterior force, that it's going to dry incredibly quick. Because if you think about it, your base layer, the one that contacts your skin is really the most important one that needs to stay dry. So for instance, if I have two layers of clothing on and my base layer is dry, but the exterior face of, you know, say my puffy jacket is wet, that doesn't really affect my comfort. That doesn't really affect my body's ability to thermoregulate itself it's the one that's directly next to your skin so if you can keep that dry and warm then you know you will be comfortable and comfort will equate to you know keeping your head in the game being more aware you know glass and harder or whatever the case may be sitting there still um you know which hopefully equates to more success so that that's the base layer so and real, on real top quick, of the, real quick John, I want
1: yeah. to I want to dive into that for a second. One thing that I know that was kind of an eye-opener to me that, that you brought up to me when we were talking in the past was you – I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but the way I took it was you recommend having a pretty lightweight base layer, right, to really pull the moisture out. And even in cold weather conditions, you want to have a, a pretty lightweight base layer.
0: Right. So, so yeah, let let me, let me clarify. Thanks for bringing that up. So to me, a base layer, the one directly next to your skin, you should always start with a very thin layer. So, you know, a light, a lightweight version. Um, I would not go directly to say a heavyweight wool piece or a heavy synthetic. I always put on the lightest, right. That whatever company I'm choosing, um, the lightest that they offer. Uh, it should also fit, that's the layer that should fit, not tight, but it should be, um, it should be contoured to your skin. So the reason that is, is because that the better the skin contact, the, the better that moisture will move, right? That you can move moisture, uh, from your, from your skin out. But I always start with the lightest, And then if I'm going to go to say a heavier, say bottom, then I would go and put the heavier weight bottom on. And, you know, I don't know how deep you want to dive into this bow, but you know, when, when we're building base layers, for instance, or we're building different layers, um, you know, you'll notice that if you look at some people's base layer that, you know, the lightweight is, it looks pretty uniform, pretty smooth. Um, Not a lot of structure to it. And then as you build it out and say go to a heavyweight, you'll start to see things like uh, grid patterns and dots and, you know, looks like little waffles on the bottom. And the reason that is, is because you're trying to build a structure that is, you know, designed to sit a little farther off your skin. And so you want to increase the surface area um, to continue to make that garment efficient of not only pulling the moisture into it, but then spreading it across its face so that it can then transfer on to the next level. So if you go and put a heavyweight directly onto your skin, you're not going to have the most efficient transfer of moisture um, that you would if you started with a lightweight and then applied, you know, a mid or heavy on top of that. So I, I, so when
1: you, when you have that lightweight on... And it's pushing the moisture out to your mid-layer or the, the layer that you're you're discussing, like, say, your your typical waffle, um, is that mm-hmm. what we call it, waffle layer, I guess, that's sure. backing yeah. on it. And, or grid, and the, yeah. Or the, the way the grid or the waffle pattern looks is you have the piece that contact your skin, then you have a little bit of a gap in between, and that gap. Seems to be the, the part that pushes the moisture out, but then the the actual thicker part of it is what's holding your heat in and keeping you warm in colder conditions. Did I explain that right?
0: Yeah, it does a combination of things, but it, essentially what you're what you're creating is more surface area, so that your you have the ability for that garment to 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 capture moisture or more moisture, so to speak. Right, so there's actual the volume to do it um part of that loft obviously adds some warmth but then it also allows it to to um be dispersed or dissipated on the face so that it can then move on to whatever the next uh layer is right either the outside atmosphere or the next layer of clothing so okay right yeah i mean when you get down to it like that but 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 honestly that's like that's the thought that's put into it by the people that make the textiles that's the thought put into it by the people you know that that pick those textiles to build certain garments right they're built they're built to be worn certain ways and that's not to scare anybody away i mean it's not like you'll have a you know really really bad experience if you don't do that but to have the best experience right mm-hmm. we did design them to be worn certain certain ways yeah no and that's uh yeah i didn't mean to
1: dig super deep there i just get uh interested myself and and like to know like to know the deep roots of it (laughs) 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 but anyways yeah i I definitely don't want to you know confuse anybody on that either but definitely you know like you you were saying so the the lightweight against your skin then if you're doing a mid-layer a little bit heavier and what would where would you transition from there
0: after like a base layer or, or the, the different weights of, of uh long underwear? Correct. Yeah, so then, you know, generally speaking I go to my what we'll call outerwear. Um for for a Western hunter, right, or a big game hunter we'll say, um, that would be like your soft shell pants or a soft shell jacket, something like that. For a whitetail hunter it could be, you know, that could be your bib like you could jump right to your bib. Um, and essentially that layer, I mean, it does a bunch of things, but you know, one of the things it does is it's a, it's a protective layer, not only to you, but your base layer. So, you know, my soft shell pants protect me from getting my base layer tore up, um, or, you know, my, my boxers or whatever. Um, they provide pockets, they provide the camouflage, they provide, you know some wind repellency or water repellency, something like that. You know our pants, a lot of the big game pants have knee pockets. Um, you know, but I, you kind of jump from your base layers and 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 um, <clears throat> and mid layer insulation or that that weight base layer uh, to to an outerwear piece. Um, you know, it could be bibs for the whitetail hunter uh, or a jacket, something like that. Um, for the for the big game guy we will just for, for, for ease of discussion, we'll just say, you know, that, that he could put that jacket on, or he could choose to, to just run around in his base layer top, uh, depending on environmental conditions.
1: Okay. I gotcha. And, um, so, so basically in like, uh, um, as far as your outer shell and what you're talking about, there's what most people would think of as your normal, you know, hunting jacket that you're, you're grabbing hold of the one that's, you know, protecting you from the, uh, I guess the weather conditions and whatever mother nature would throw at you there. And so, correct,
0: correct, correct. And I'll, I'll, uh, and I know what you're thinking, but I think we'll cover it in the next, in the next piece. (laughs) So, but yeah. And so for, you know, for the whitetail person, um, I think it's, uh, you know, I think that's a layer where you may really start to consider, uh, something like wind stopper, right. Something to block the wind. I think it's crucially important for, for whitetail hunters to, to have something that blocks the wind to, to cut down or, or reduce convective heat loss, you know, while you're sitting there in a tree and, and the wind's blowing against you. If you can, if you can block that wind and, and trap body heat, I think that's, um, hugely important for, for all day comfort. Um, for the, for the Western guy, you know, that's a, quite frankly, that's a layer where I, a lot of times will will opt to have a, a wind stopper type jacket, um, light rain and light snow. So we'll call it water resistant, um, normally pretty quiet, uh, very durable. And, um, you know, it's just, it's a, you know, it's a layer for you know, depending on the season, it could be something you wear all day. It could be something you wear in the mornings and the evenings. But, um, but that, that's a layer where I would, I would consider maybe, uh, you know, like some, some type of windstopper layer. Okay. And
1: when you say as far as what exactly is the difference for everyone between windstopper and Gore-Tex as far as, um, obviously Gore-Tex is the waterproof layer, But what uh, as far as when people are looking at different pieces, why why would you opt to go with you know a windstopper piece versus a Gore-Tex or vice
0: versa? Yeah, so windstopper is obviously blocks the wind, hence the name, but it's it's more breathable than Gore-Tex. The 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 pores are are um, are larger, and then it's it's the way that the that the layers are are laminated together, um, that allows it also to be a little more breathable. And you know, uh, uh, Windstopper, generally speaking, is the seams are not taped, although several garments in sick a big game are, are taped. Um, so you know, we'll call Windstopper highly water resistant, but it doesn't have that guaranteed to keep you dry. So it may, it may function really well in the rain as soon as you get it, um, you know, as soon as you get it uh, out of the packaging, but over time, you know, depending on how you wear it, if you have body oils and stuff that, that, um, you know, are constantly touching the inside, you know, it may start to develop some small leaks. Whereas Gore-Tex is, you know, it's got the finer, the finer pores, it's always taped, uh, the construction of the garment, the way, you know, people that utilize Gore-Tex, there's certain construction techniques for building pockets and and zipper garages and things like that, that, you know, and hoods that, you know, make it, make it inherently waterproof. So, you know, if you want to, if you want a, a true rain layer, you have to buy something like a Gore-Tex. Um, I like the versatility of, wind stopper. I think it's something that's overlooked. You know, I, my guess is there's, you know, the majority of whitetail hunters don't hunt very often in the rain, but they probably hunt a lot in the wind. And, um, so I think that that is probably more important to the whitetail hunter, um, than, than a rain layer. Um, and also just the way we build a lot of our different wind stoppers, they tend to be very soft, and quiet. Whereas Gore-Tex traditionally is a little louder. So again, for that archery hunter or that white tail guy in a stand, you know, that, that might not be the right layer for them.
1: Yeah, no. So that's uh that's an important point there. As far as I, I know me personally, when I'm going, you know, out West, if there is one, if there is one piece that I'm going to cut out, say backpack hunting, a lot of times it'd be my Windstopper layer to replace with a Gore-Tex layer. Um, last year I did hunt with the mountain jacket because it's basically feather light and there's about nothing to it. So I threw that in my pack as well with, uh, and also a rain jacket, but with whitetail hunting, I rarely use uh, a rain jacket because of Windstopper's ability to, to still be water resistant enough. Um, I, I've found that you can sit basically, and I don't want to tell anybody this and have someone come back and say it didn't work this way, but I, I feel comfortable sitting four or five hours in you know, a light rain or even a medium rain and not being soaked. I mean, you don't get wet, um, with with the wind stopper. And, and also it is a little bit quieter from again, from the whitetail standpoint. But when you look at like some of the, the colder garments, and and John, I know that you're not uh, you're not on the whitetail side of things as far as the products go. But for the listeners, uh, the fanatic jacket and bib system, which is for colder weather, uh, we get a lot of questions down at the archery shop. You know, why does this not have Gore-Tex in it? Well, it doesn't really need to be because of the how cold it is when you're technically wearing it. Most of the time, it's going to be snow right. and. And I have some some pretty funny pictures of me sitting in just some ridiculous snowstorms with four inches of snow laying all over my bibs and jacket, and I sat all day like that in a December and rifle season in Pennsylvania, and never once felt moisture, you know, on my skin from yeah, leaking through right. the jacket. So that's that's just a a, a quick tidbit I wanted to kind of throw in there, but. But yeah, yeah,
0: no you you're you're not gonna you're not gonna get wet in that application. No, that's it. It 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 does good. If you know if you're if you're if you're going on a backpack hunt wherever and you're going to be off the grid and away from the road and can't get out in a, in a few hours, um, you know it, it's it's important for you to bring rain gear. I mean it's, you know, depending on where you are and the time of year. I mean I consider it life saving gear. Um you know, if I get wet, I don't have to have, well, if I can stay dry, I'm good. You know, I don't have to have a a tent per se or something like that to ride the storm out. But if I'm soaked, um, it could become, you know, a life and death situation pretty quick if you can't get to some kind of of shelter. So, um, but yeah, for the, for the whitetail guy, I mean, you know, personally, I don't, I just don't enjoy hunting in the rain very much. And then, you know, you always have to consider if you put a marginal hit on it, on the you know, like a deer. You know, are you going to be able to blood trail or with that that water from the rain compromise you know your track job? But um, you know, to each his own there. But I would say Windstopper is a hugely important uh, technology for for the whitetail hunter, especially.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. But um, yeah, so so like I was uh, referring to a little bit there with when I do some big game hunting out West and everything, John, so let's, let's dive into the, the next piece there as far as, all right, we started out with the base layer, then kind of your, you know, your long John mid layer, if you want to call it and um, your outer shell. So what, what would you talk about next as being important, excuse me?
0: Yeah. So the next would be insulation and um, insulation is an interesting one because you know I, I again, just for sake of discussion, I put it you know third um but depending on the base or the the uh, the uh the lofted insulation or puffy insulation that you've got um it can be worn under the outerwear or or over the outerwear right it it just depends and there's so many different applications you couldn't you couldn't possibly go through all of them but um when you're looking at at a lofted or puffy type insulation uh you know, again, you have a couple choices. You've got uh, traditional down, which are, you know, generally speaking, goose feathers. Uh, you have a treated down. So those, those feathers are uh, treated with like a durable water repellent finish for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, you have a down uh, or a treated down synthetic blend. So we use that quite a bit. And then you have a pure synthetic and, you know, in my opinion, I think that a straight traditional down is not really something that's, uh, suitable for, for hunters, um, whitetail hunters or, or big game hunters. Um, I think it's just, it, it's, uh, it, it takes too much effort uh, to think about keeping it dry and, you know, we hunt in inclement weather and we're not hunting most of the time in in crazy cold temperatures, you know, really that's, you know, very suitable for, you know, high altitude mountaineers, right. Where it's, it's very dry and very arid and, and very cold. Um, so treated down is good. treated down. Synthetic blend is good. And then synthetic blends and depending on, you know, if you're going to Alaska, Bo I'd say I would choose synthetic, uh, pure synthetic insulation, because even if that insulation gets wet, it doesn't lose its ability to keep you, to keep you warm. Uh, you know, if you were going down to Arizona or Colorado for elk, you know, I'd say that you're probably just fine using a treated down or a, or a down synthetic blend, um, for whitetail hunters back East, I think any of them you could choose, Um, just because, you know, quite frankly, most of the time you're not that far away from the truck, um, and the farther off the grid you go and later into the season, you know, I would, I would again, trend more towards, uh, synthetic, but, um, you know, a lot of people will overlook, um, you know, a lofted jacket, but man, the warmth of the weight, like I think you said, your dad had picked up that vest, um, you know, they're so lightweight and so compressible, but the warmth they provide is, is immeasurable really.
1: Yeah. No, definitely. That's, that's, that was the first insulation piece, technique, like a technical insulation piece I got was that Kelvin light vest. And, um, and I use that forever and, um, and still use it from time to time. I just, I, I love it. And, and it, which is a synthetic, um, insulation, And I don't think I own any pure down insulation. I think all, all, just about all mine's synthetic, um, synthetic insulation. So I can't speak too much from the, from the downside of things. I've, I was introduced to synthetic from the, from the beginning, but besides, besides like a a sleeping bag, which, um, is another, another thing, but yeah. So,
0: yeah, well, you know, so those, those lofted pieces come in different forms, you know, jackets, uh, jackets with hoods, uh, and then vests. And so, you know, it's kind of up to the, to the where, you know, a lot of times those lofted vests will be worn, you know, say under an outerwear layer. And then the jackets, especially with hoods tend to be put on, you know, over top and outerwear layer. So, you know, an example would be, um, I'm hiking up to a ridge top to glass and, you know, I'm obviously generating heat. So I want to, I want to, you know, dress comfortably cool. And then I get up on the ridge top, and I look over the other side, I start to glass and it's breezy up there and I've got sweated up. So, you know, my, my, uh, base layer is working to move the moisture to the next layer, but, you know, I'm getting a little chilled up there in the wind. That's a perfect time to apply, you know, the puffy jacket, and what that does is it traps the heat, but it also, because it traps the heat, it promotes the moisture to move through the system that much quicker. So, um, you know, I hear it quite often, people hike up to the ridge and they're a little damp because they exert it. And instead of waiting, depending on the base layer they have, and, and instead of waiting, you know, the, the 5.15 minutes for that layer to dry, they immediately strip that off, put a new base layer on you know and then and then kind of go about glassing and that exposure to the elements and having to carry an extra layer is kind of um unnecessary if you just throw that lofted jacket on and then you'll just you'll just cook it dry
1: yeah no that's a that's a huge point there and something that you'd kind of taught through the the rewarming drill as an an extreme measure of showing how that works but um, I, th- I think we'll get into that in, in a few minutes, but with keeping everything on and, and not stripping off that base layer or anything, like you said, you're pushing the moisture through your system and that outer that outer puffy layer may be, you know, it may be damp, but you're dry out against your skin, which you're still going to be warm. And uh, especially if you're in a situation like somewhere like uh, Alaska or anything can be, can be very important and even life-saving i just uh got back from alaska a few weeks ago for the first time and it's uh definitely rains a lot all the time
0: (laughs) yes it does (laughs) my wife my wife uh my wife just pulled up to me
1: (laughs) no you're fine you need a second
0: so nope i do not (laughs) Uh, um Sorry about that. No problem. Um, so what were we talking about?
1: <laughs> well, we were talking about uh, having the puffy layers as far as I was saying how I was pulling moisture away from your skin. When you, when you throw it on when you're wet already, say from hiking, and that outer yeah. puffy layer may be damp, but it, uh, y- your base layer will be dry and you've kind of cooked it dry per se. And you might feel wet on the outside or damp, but you're not losing any heat in that sense.
0: Yeah, correct. And so that's, that is a perfect case in point. Um, if, if people are ever in that scenario, right, that, that is a, that is a, like a, I don't know, physical manifestation is the right word of, of what we're talking about to where you see that moisture coming through all those layers and then hitting the outside of the garment. And then depending on the ambient temperature, you know, that, that moisture that hits the outside may actually be you know, you may actually see frost building up on the outside of that jacket, but at that point in time, unless you've chosen the traditional down, um, that jacket is still going to keep you warm. Your base layer is dry. You are you are completely, uh, you know, happy and and have your head in the game. It doesn't matter if that if that insulated jacket is you know have some moisture on the inside or is frosted up on the outside. It's just doing its job. And, you know, that's, again, to go back to the traditional down, if if you have that and moisture continues to move through, over the course of several days, that moisture will begin to, to make those feathers kind of clump, um, which breaks down the loft. And then, you know, the jacket be, be, begins to become compromised as far as warmth. So uh but yeah that's exactly that's exactly what that uh, a good system is supposed to do is to move that moisture all the way to the outside your body uh is the internal combustion engine it is the heat source that that is going to you know move that moisture through the layers and push it to the outside yeah and i i definitely
1: noticed you know that every every person's body is different and you you kind of have to when you're building your system or if say if you're working with someone like me to help you build a system, when you're looking at it, you got to understand how your body works. Do you sweat a lot? Or when you, you know, when you're moving, are you really pushing out moisture quick or do you get cold easily or how, how that works and all that, you know, comes into play with building your system that's tailored directly for you?
0: Yeah. There's, there's, you know, there's so much to it, Bo, and you know, you hit on it. Everybody's, Physiology is different. Um quite frankly, depending on the day. So let's say you come out west and go on a 10 day elk hunt. You know, as those days progress and your hydration levels, you know, change and one day you're hydrated and the next day you're not, and one day you have enough calories on board, and one day you don't, um, you know, your your the physiology is, is gonna change, right? And so one day whatever system you had that you wore that, that work may not be as good the next day. If, you know, you start to become compromised. Um, and it's really interesting. If you gave, you know, let's just say I gave everybody, say, I gave 12 guys, you know, every, every piece of big game, you know, sub Alpine gear, for instance, and we're going to go on an elk hunt. Um, I can almost guarantee you that not any one of those 12 people is going to be wearing the exact same system on any given day. Or would even choose the exact same layers. Let's say I limited it to like 10 layers. Everybody would pick something slightly different based on their experiences and how their body, you know, historically performs right in that environment. And that's what I find so fascinating. And that's why I, I can't really say like, okay, wear this, 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 and this. And I mean, I can do it and you you can do it right. If I, If somebody really wants to know a system and, you know, and purchase, but Ultimately, the best thing to do is to, you know, try some things and see what works, and then continue to modify your system. And that's why I like really versatile layers, because um, I can I can continue to, to you know, move them around within the system based on how I'm feeling that day and what the environment's doing.
1: Yeah, no, that's 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 a good point, and and like you said, with uh, having those. First, little system so like for me no matter what i'm going with a lightweight base layer against you know against the skin and for me i like the the core lightweight series that that, that i've been wearing and you know from there it may change you know in, in colorado i was using the the kelvin active jacket actually right after that most of the yeah. like probably 90 percent of the time i went straight from the core lightweight to the kelvin active which is a, an active uh, insulation that, that John can dive into a little bit more here if, if he'd like. Um, but So I would use that, and, and then sometimes, though, I would go right from that base layer to the mountain jacket and then throw the Kelvin active over top of that if I, it, because the, the mountain jacket provided that little bit more warmth and with the wind stopper capabilities – but having that wind closer to my skin for me personally works better with um, as far as being able to breathe for me. So that's I, I kind of play what I'm getting at here is there's a million ways. And, and what John was getting at, there's a million ways to look at your system and how you can build it. You just got to test it out and, and see what works for you. And you may find out that, you know, one piece doesn't work or maybe it's just the way you're layering it. And, um, just being able to test that out and, and get a feel for how your body
0: reacts to it. Yeah. The, the, the Calvin active jacket and the mountain jacket are two pieces that I rarely go anywhere without. They are, they are, they're versatile. I can wear one on top of the other or vice versa, depending on the conditions. And then I always run. I've been running the corn Lightweight Hoodie a lot recently. Um, just that hood provides not only a little bit of warmth in the back of my neck or some sunshade, but it's got the face mask in it if you're, you know, dropping in the setups and stuff. But, um, yeah, but, you know, I just, I encourage people to, you know, I like to say exercise your apparel system, but, you know, I we, we shoot our bows and, and we train and all this. It's like, you should go out there and figure out you know, how the how this, how these clothes perform, it would be kind of similar to, you know, if you gave your 16-year-old kid, you know, the keys to the Ferrari the first day he gets his license, and he kind of, you know, chugs his way through the gears and gets up to second or third gear and has it going 60 miles an hour, and he's absolutely stoked, right? Because it's the fastest he's ever gone. But then you get in the driver's seat having driven a while and have some experience and you get it into six gear and have it going 150 miles an hour and get the full performance out of it, like that's where you want to be. And all of a sudden, when you realize that you can get 150 miles an hour out of these clothing systems, then they, they really start to show their benefit. And, you know, it just takes a little time and, you know, it's fun. I mean, I think it's fun to go out there and try all these things and see what works and, and what doesn't, and you know, swap things out. But once once you understand the true capabilities of some of these clothing systems, you know, you you really understand what you have, and then and then you never look back.
1: Yeah. No, definitely it's been some it's been kind of uh, addictive for me to to try out different things and move it and and move things around and switch this out and that out and 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 again I uh, I, I definitely get the luxury of that you know working for an archery shop, that's a, a sick, dealer, but just, I mean, I was doing that before I even started there as far as just wanting to, you know, mess around with my system and see how your body reacts. Because when you go on a, a hunt out West, so like I did for the first time a few years back and you're going in for seven days, the first time, you know, out in the wilderness, camping, backpacking the whole, the whole bit, the last thing you want to worry about is is your clothing system, and as far as failing or anything like that, that would end your hunt. I, I want to stay out there. If I have seven days to hunt, I want to hunt seven days, and that was understanding how that all works together is crucial, and and that was one of the the, the biggest things. So and uh, John, you uh, when when you were training um, the, the special forces, there was a a certain drill that you conducted called the rewarming drill, correct? Right. Yep. So do you want to cover that a little bit here?
0: (laughs) Yeah. So, um, because we, we taught, uh, in Alaska and we wanted, you know, you, you teach somebody the system, but you want them to, kind of have that aha moment you want them to you want them to fully understand right You, you only have so much time with with these guys and you want them to understand that the system will go 150 miles an hour right um however they choose to to kind of build it and so one of the things we did and it had a lot of other applications that i won't get into but um but so one of the things we did was we would come down kind of out of the mountains after, you know, normally about a four day patrol. Um, and you know, one of the things you, you, you know, you want to, you want to, you know, continue to have guys be disciplined. And so, you know, you pack up, you know, you pack your, your small little camp up, um, thinking that you're going to have to spend more time out in the field. Right. Cause you never know. I mean, even when you're a hunter, but certainly when you're a soldier, like nothing's a given, um, and you don't want to just trash pack and you don't want to just think in your head, well, I got four days and yeah, if this thing gets wet, I can just gut it out. You know, you want to try to keep up on, on your nutrition, hydration, everything, your organization. So anyways, we'd come down out of the mountains after about four days and it, you know, just cause it's Alaska. I mean, a lot of times the, the weather can be, you know, basically savage. Um, and it didn't matter. And we would come down summer, winter and, um, we would have the guys, uh, essentially take all the electronics and weapons off their body and they would just set their pack down. They, they weren't able to, you know, repack it or anything. And we would, we would, um, it was, you know, it was all monitored, but, uh, we would have them in groups. They would get in the water and that water could be a frozen lake that we had them chop a hole in, or it could be, um, you know, a mountain stream. Uh, some something along those lines, rarely the ocean, because salt water has different effects on on clothing but uh, but anyways, we would get them we would get them wet and we would leave them there for uh, a requisite amount of time based on this chart we had but let's just say anywhere from ten to fifteen minutes, and so the idea was that not only were you wet but you were cold enough that you know potentially some of your cognitive function may be not 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 faltering maybe just a little altered but also your hands and feet hands more than anything uh were pulled and so there was a level of urgency right when we got them out of the water and so the idea was you got out of the water and uh, you and your buddy and you would go to your packs and then there was a whole process and basically it was a, a set priority um, you know, number one, what do you do? Number two, what do you do? Number three, what do you do? And so we would go through that progression. And essentially it was, you need to get yourself, you need to trap whatever body heat you have left and try to cut down on any convective heat loss. So generally you'd put a hat on and you'd put a puffy jacket. And if you had puffy pants, you'd put puffy pants on. Okay. What's the next thing? Well, you need to seek shelter. So then they'd set a tent up, then they'd get in the tent. So now they're out of the elements. Then they put a ground pattern underneath them. So conductive heat loss wouldn't, wouldn't, uh, harm them as much. And they would go through this progression. Uh, and then eventually at some point they would, you know, light their stove, they would drink hot liquids, then they would have a hot meal. So again, to add calories to their body, to add warmth to their body, to, to stoke their internal combustion engine, to begin to dry the clothes. And then they would get in their sleeping bags, this whole thing. And then over the course of several hours, <clears throat> um, they would dry their clothing out. Um, now, we wouldn't stay there because, generally speaking, that would take, you know, maybe upwards of eight hours to completely dry everything, but long enough that they realized that the system was working, that all of a sudden they were dry, you know, certainly their base layers were dry, that they were warm, that the situation was under control, that if they had to the ride, you know, the next 24 hours out in there that they could continue the mission in this, and, you know, in this case, or for a hunter to continue his hunt and not have to give up his great tag if he, you know, fell off the raft or, you know, jumped in the river for whatever reason, or got soaked in the rainstorm trying to get back to his tent. Um, and so I did this, you did it, I watched yours and then I did it for, uh, Eastman's hunting journal, um, and just kind of showed, you know, that if you build a proper system, that the the management of moisture actually happens quicker than you would think and that you warm up um, and kind of get yourself collected far quicker than you would imagine in such a a dramatic uh, situation.
1: Yeah, and that's that was the biggest thing. I mean, I'd always heard that when you get wet like that, you strip your clothes and try to dry them out around a fire. And that's obviously not the, the best way of doing that for a variety of reasons, whether you could either get a fire started and, uh, you know, you're losing all of your heat once you take those clothes off. So by being able to, you know, trap the heat with putting the puffy layers on and with your system being built correctly to be able to move the moisture out and um, and everything there. So when I when I talked to you about that first at ATA show again there, uh, you were talking about it and I was like I want to try it and you're like yeah you know that's I, no you you can do it by you know just soaking your clothes in in a in a little tub or anything like that and putting them on and, yeah. and how it works I'm like yeah yeah that's what I'll do and then uh, about three weeks three weeks later found a frozen pond and uh, decided to try it and we we filmed it for the. For bucks and bows, to kind of show our customers and everything why you know we were so adamant about uh, clothing systems and everything there. So yeah, it was it was extremely interesting. Getting in the water, the first about two minutes were pretty terrible, and then after that, I, I kind of my body just numbed. So yeah. I sat in there for 15 minutes and then got out. And that's when I realized how tough everything was. Trying to you lose cognitive functions, your your motor skills. I, trying to zip up my jacket was one of the toughest things I ever. It felt like I ever had to do. And you know, get the get my stove lit up to to get a hot meal on my body and get my you know get my uh, my body moving and everything. But that was that was extremely interesting to uh, to do.
0: Oh. yeah and so that that's why it's so important to one it's dramatic and people pay attention when you do something stupid like jump into a frozen river or lake right um i like to say everybody wants to see the monkey dance yeah um you know they want to be entertained so that that's a good that's a good way to do it but but really what it what it shows is you have to have so let's let me start from the beginning like you learn if you packed properly or not. And you learned if, you know, you put things in in the reverse order that things need to come out. Right. Like real kind of to me anyways, basic disciplinary things, but you also learned that you have to have your priorities. We'll call them survival priorities um, in order because like you said, zipping up your jacket was difficult. So if all of a sudden I got out, however, I got wet, but If I, if I got out, um, and I didn't, you know, if my first step wasn't to put say my puffy jacket on and my first step was to, let's just say, unlace my boots or to try to start my stove, that may be the only thing that I'm able to do with those hands. And if it's not the number one priority and it's number three or four, like you're probably going to be in a world of hurt. Right. So have your priorities in order you know put the jacket on get a you know get a get a some kind of watch cap on you know trap the heat get out of the elements like those kind of things are what i just think people need to think about Mm -hmm. especially when they come out west or if they go up north or if they're like you hiking miles and miles off the road and you know and hanging tree stands um they should understand that you know the dexterity of your hands is going to go quick and if you don't you know, if the first thing you want to do is grab a lighter, especially if it's like one of those little bicks, and you're trying to get it going to start a twig, well, first of all, you're probably going to drip water right on the right on the flint and uh, kill it. But you know, you're gonna you're gonna utilize the couple precious minutes you have doing something like that as opposed to putting your jacket on and setting your shelter up and um and it's at a certain point you're probably not going to be able to do those things like it's funny to say but if you've ever been there like you have like it's almost scary that your hands don't work and you're trying to will them to and they just won't they won't do what you want there's no there's no fine motor skill none
1: yeah and i didn't even almost realize it but they the the guys that were there i mean i had few people there to watch make sure nothing you know happened serious but they were when they said they looked at me when i tried zipping up my jacket the look i gave them like it looked like fear in my eyes like you just even though i was in a controlled environment it was just like i can't believe i can't do anything i there's nothing i could do about yeah. it and the quicker you yeah. know you were able to do that from getting out of the water the better and, um, you know, get into that sleeping bag and have your puffy layers on and watch the the moisture move. But I'll put, uh, I'll put some links in there to the article that in the podcast notes to the article that you wrote on it for sick, uh, as well as the, the, the couple videos that you and I both did so that people can go in and kind of watch it instead of, instead of, uh, hearing us try to describe it there. But <laughs>
0: yeah, I mean, it's entertaining. It's entertaining at least, right? Yeah. Um, But, but so rain gear is the last layer Well, rain gear is the next layer, but let me, let me jump past that and we can circle back. Let me talk about the last layer. And this definitely applies to the person who's, who's Vivian out. Um, in my opinion, the sleeping bag is the last layer of a clothing system. And the reason I say that is, you know, when you're out camping in a tent or, Bivvying out in a bivvy sack or whatever the case may be, like that sleeping bag to me is the sanctuary, you know, that that I come back to, you know, at night, so to speak. Um, and that no matter what happens during the day, you know, I get wet, I get hot, I get cold, I dry my stuff out, like I want to come back and get in that sleeping bag. And that is something that to me cannot become compromised. And, you know, if you do the you know, have a dramatic situation like you and I demonstrated where you fall into water, um, getting into that sleeping bag wet is, is is what has to happen in my opinion. And if you choose the wrong sleeping bag, if you choose the wrong insulation, um, you're not going to be, you're not going to be happy about that. And if, you know, if you're doing nothing but coming back, let's just say, you you know, have to hike back to camp and you know, every day it's a couple hours or whatever the case may be, you're hiking with camp on your back and you're getting in your sleeping bag and you have damp clothes on from sweat, um, you know, over the course of days, because that's how you dry your clothing system out is to get into that sleeping bag. If you're not choosing the right sleeping bag, um, you, you are giving up a little bit of safety, um, er every time. So I, 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 I actually don't like to stop the clothing system at just the clothes, but I like to say the sleeping bag is the last layer of the clothing system.
1: No, that's, that's, that's good to, good to know from that standpoint. And, and same thing from my experience, starting with a down bag, it, uh, you know, using something as synthetic is so nice to be able to warm up all your and dry out all your clothes. Like you said, jump in, into your sleeping bag. I, I mean, when I first went out West, my first thought was I'm going to bring a set of clothes to sleep in, you know, that's, that's what I'm going to do. And quickly I realized that especially if you have damp or wet clothes, you should jump in a sleeping bag that way. And if I have any, any other, like say extra layers that I don't want to wear in a sleeping bag, cause it's too, um, I'll be too warm. I stuff them down in the footbed to, uh, right. to help dry them out by the morning.
0: Yeah. So, and, and you know, I think this point is is critical to talk about because, you know, like you said, I, in a lot, I hear this from a lot of people, and and a lot of them are, I'll call them, real experienced folks, um, but they want to they want to have a dry set of clothes to to quote sleep in. Um, so for a couple reasons, I'll argue against that. First of all you have to spend the money to buy those clothes. So if, if money's, you know, a limiting factor, you're going to have to spend more because you have to have more layers Two, if you're carrying them on your back, you're going to have more weight and, and, and volume in your pack, which you may or may not have, um, to, to, to give. Um, and then third, the clothes that you do have that you're hunting in day to day, right? let's just say you've invested in a Sica system, because that's the way I look at it as an investment, that um, you've got these clothes and you've built this great system. I want that to work for me 24 hours a day. And if I get in the sleeping bag with my clothes on and if they're damp, they're going to dry out. And I know that maybe sounds a little counterintuitive to people, but you know, there's really no other way to do it. I'm not going to give up a great, sunny day of weather that I could be hunting to take all my clothes off and dry them on a bush. So if I can do it every night when I'm in my sleeping bag, assuming I've chosen the right sleeping bag and clothing system, the clothing system's working, working for me 24 hours a day. I wake up in the morning, I'm ready to hunt. Um, and you know, I've, I've left some weight and some, and some, uh, and some bulk behind and, it's just a simpler system because the alternative is if you take those clothes off and you lay them in your tent or you hang them in the overhead, we all know what condensation does. Um, they're not going to dry. Now, maybe if you're in Arizona or someplace like that, where it's super arid, you may get that, but I just think it's a bad habit to get into. Um, but you know, for the reason stated, I think that I sleep in my clothes. In turn, I can bring a much lighter sleeping bag because I've got the clothes I'm wearing is adding to the, you know, essentially the clo value, right, of whatever sleeping bag I have. So I'm running a lighter weight bag. Um, I got less clothes in my pack, and I'm spending less money to do it. So for all those reasons, I just think that that it's a no-brainer.
1: Yeah. No, I that that's a that's a good point, and something that you don't hear as uh, as often as being part of your overall clothing system and yeah down or yeah down bags can be lighter and a little more compressible you got to kind of look at uh weighing the options there and and how how you want everything to to work together and even though that the synthetic may be a little bit heavier in the, the sleeping bag and and everything you're not bringing any extra clothes because the other ones are wet
0: yeah you know i don't condone this Cause obviously people have to test it for themselves and, and, um, and get a little experience, but you know, all my years in Alaska and even down here in Montana, like I pretty much run a 30 degree sleeping bag, um, all winter. And in the summer, I don't know if I can get a lighter weight sleeping bag, but you know, I don't bring as many clothes necessarily, but I I run a 30 degree sleeping bag uh, in the winter. I mean, extreme situations aside, but for the most part, I can get away with that. If I'm in a tent, I have the proper clothing system. I'm eating the proper nutrition and hydrating. Well, um, you don't have to bring a, a super big sleeping bag per se. So I, I kind of, you know, I kind of go, I kind of go counter to what people say. They're like, well, synthetic weighs a little more. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm running a lightweight bag. And most times with down because people want that, that, um, that, that higher rating, they're going with a warmer bag than they need. And then they're sleeping with it unzipped and their foot outside and all this. And it's like, well, oh, you really didn't need to bring all that weight. Home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and that just comes with experience, but. Mm-hmm.
1: No, that's, that's, that's really good to, to hear that, that side of things. So um, the other, the other thing, John, so I, I could probably talk to you about each of those in for another two hours in depth but i i kind of want to move on a little bit here to, if so if you were gonna if you were just starting to build a system from the ground up and you had you know a limited budget what would be the most important pieces that you would start with
0: so like i said i'd buy a base layer top and bottom i'd buy a long sleeve uh, some type of long sleeve top um, and then long bottoms. And even if I don't wear the bottoms, I'll always bring the bottoms. Cause weather changes quite a bit. Um, I would buy a pair of, uh, soft shell pants. This is, this is for a uh, big game. I'll start a pair of soft shell pants. I would do a puffy jacket and rain gear. Like that's bare bones minimum. Yeah. Um, that, that, that I would, you know, that I would, I would, uh, I would say a person would need, I would recommend if you have, if you have the money, then I would also buy like a windstopper type jacket, like the mountain jacket that we talked about or something similar. And then hat and gloves, Yeah, uh, would kind of round it out. Yep. So as far as clothing goes, I don't know if you want me to go into specifics, but, um, for the, for the white tailor, I would go again, I would go lightweight base layer top and bottom. Then I would go maybe a heavier weight, like a like a heavyweight uh top, some kind of hoodie maybe. I would look at potentially a loft vest, and then I would look at windstopper uh bibs and a jacket. That that's that that's a system I think would, would take a guy, you know, maybe not early season, but certainly like the The majority of the season that that people are hunting, um, you know, October, November. Now, if they're going to hunt like you, Bo, then I'd say they probably need a pair of soft shell pants to hike in Mm -hmm. and then put the bibs on once they get there. I don't exactly know how you're doing that, but. That's exactly um, what I'm
1: doing. Actually depend Once it like say late October, November, when I'm doing those all day sits, walk, hiking into the stand, I actually wear the timberline pants from the big game line and um, then once know. I get to the tree stand, I throw on the either Fanatic bibs or Stratus system, and uh, go from there. But yeah, I, I definitely like wearing you know some sort of the soft shell pants to um, so they breathe well when you're when you're hiking in further. But for the one nice thing too about like some of the the bibs, um, and I'm a, I'm a bib guy, but um, for whitetail hunting and like the Fanatic bibs and now the new Stratus bibs in the whitetail line, you can unzip them as well. Um, to vent vent heat, but if you're going, like I said, if you're going a few miles in and you're you're gaining some elevation or, or dropping down in, it's be- in my opinion, it's better just to have a, a more of a soft shell and pack the other ones in. So
0: yeah, are you uh, when you're doing that? Are you, are you carrying a climber with you or what?
1: Uh, it depends. Um, I've yeah. kind of went away from climbers for the most part and do hang ons, and I uh, just. Uh I just have a lightweight uh, platform stand and uh, a few sticks that I take in with me. I I generally don't hunt very high in the tree. I mean, you know, everyone just tries to be, it seems like 20, 25 feet up. And for the most part, I hunt anywhere from eight to 14 feet. I don't hunt very high. Yeah. Unless I, unless I can get a preset stand in there, I do it. But otherwise I just carry three little uh, three foot section of sticks and a platform and i get in some weird looking trees that uh my cover is usually good enough to 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 hide me but i i like to pick the spot and not have and you know pick the tree that i need to be in to to be most successful and not dictate my stand telling me what tree i can get in and that's the only limitation with climbers and with being a little bit noisy but i uh i mean saying that i did kill my my ohio deer last year out of a climber if i'm in like a big oak standing and stuff it's a little different but when in in pennsylvania where i'm at i'm hunting a lot of nasty creek bottoms and you know and uh and some hemlock thickets and things like that so i i like to to be able to tuck into different places
0: yeah but cool Very yeah
1: cool. so that's kind of well yeah, I appreciate you going into those different pieces there and and uh so from the big game side of things, there's some new pieces that, that Sika came out with this year and you were a, a big part of designing them. The the biggest the, the two biggest things that caught my eye were the new Apex system that was the 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 hoodie, the the pants and the backpack as well as the mountain hauler sixty two hundred. Do you wanna get into those a little bit?
0: Yeah, so for the apex, really, it's designed for the for the hunter who values quiet. I would say above all else, Um, and we all value quiet, but we all have our own interpretation of what quiet is. And you know, we're we're very dedicated to making durable products um, because we know that you know, our consumer values at, and again, it's an investment, like you're going to have it for a long, long time, whatever product you buy. Um, and so it was very difficult to try to come up with something that was quiet, but lived up to our durability promise. And so really what we ended up doing, cause I understood we needed to have something quieter for those, for those particular type of hunters, uh, that we ended up, we had to go and um develop our own textile so you know i had to go to asia and basically start putting stuff together and have them make us something so the textile that you see in the pants and then the apex hoodie in the shoulders and the arms you know that's a proprietary textile to us that we developed and it gives us the durability we require and our consumers demand but also it's really quiet. And so I've been fortunate enough to hunt in that system for about a year and a half now. And, you know, a lot of crawling, running knee pads and stuff. And, you know, that it's just, it's held up really well. And then we introduced a new midweight wool. We've never had wool. We introduced a midweight wool that's in the body and the arms and the hood of the apex hoodie. And that's got a, We'll call it a blend for lack of a better description, but basically it's a nylon merino wool blend. So it's a 17 and a half micron merino wool, just exceptionally fine, really comfortable. But with the nylon on the outside, it provided the durability that we needed for big game hunting, for crawling and carrying packs. Um, it also allowed it to print really well. But you have all the, all the great qualities of wool the natural antimicrobial, the warm when damp. Um, the softness, all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, the Apex hoodie has some really unique features. It's got, like I said, it's got a hood, but it's got our integrated face mask, which is really great for dropping into setups really fast or making stalks. And I uh, got a kangaroo pocket on the, we'll call it the belly. So we moved it up a little bit so that it didn't interfere with your waist strap on your backpack. And then inside that uh, kangaroo pocket, I call it, are two, um two internal mesh pockets so that if you drop things like diaphragm calls or wind checks and things like that, they don't rattle around and make any noise. Uh and then finally brought over something that we'd had in the military and that was elbow pads. And the elbow pads are removable if you know the person doesn't want to use them. But you know, I just realized so many times crawling in on mule deer and elk and, and even antelope that you know you get pinned down by a doe or a cow or something like that. You know, that's the time that I've got a rock under one elbow and a pine cone under another. and um, So put elbow pads in that. And, you know, it doesn't affect my draw cycle. But, you know, again, if people don't want it, they can remove it. Um, and then the pants are actually pretty simple. Mesh pockets, uh, mesh cargo pockets, silent snaps, um, mesh pockets within the cargo pocket for range finders and GPSs, things like that. So things don't rattle around. And then just tapered the legs a little bit um, to prevent swooshing when you're stocking and then allow uh, you to just pull your socks up over the bottom of your pant legs if you choose to go in on your final stock like that. So I'm pretty stoked about the system, Beau. Um The response has been, you know, amazing. So pretty excited about that. And then the pack is, you know, 1850 cubic inch day pack, no frame, so it can't make any noise kind of sits off your shoulders really low profile so if you're crawling or ducking under brush there's nothing to hang up on um you know three straps to to hold your bow if need be but it really wraps it's kind of body hugging uh it's a great pack for a lot of ladies if they want to wear one of our packs because it fits just whatever your your shape is but lots of pockets for organization um and then the cool thing is and it's something i played around with for a couple of years with some weed eater cord on some of our existing packs is it's called the cam cable and the cam cable, there's a left and a right. So if you're in, you know, shoot left, or righty. But you know how many times I've been in setups where I'm holding my bow and a guy's calling or I'm waiting for something to develop and you know, the animal comes in and pins me down and I get in a staring contest and you know, it seems no matter how much I work out, you know, that five, six pound bow starts weighing a lot after 15 minutes and then you know i get my one chance to get a shot and you know i'm already tired before i ever draw my bow and you're able to just deploy the cam cable drop your cam in to the cable and then it takes all the weight off and i can just wait there and let the situation develop and then draw and shoot you know pretty pretty unencumbered so just just stoked about the apex system uh as a whole so far
1: yeah, no, that's that's an awesome system. I I got my hands on it and uh, haven't haven't uh, haven't picked up any myself yet, but just playing around with it in the shop and everything, and and seeing it at the ATA show. Um, a couple of our customers had picked it up for turkey season in uh, Pennsylvania as well. Yeah, and they loved it because it's super quiet and and it seems like the material, as far as the pants, is a little bit. Um, if, if anyone's familiar with, was sick as line already between the ascent pant and the mountain pant, it kind of seemed like it
0: f- yep. filled
1: that gap yep. in between there. Um,
0: yep. Yep. It's got a little bit of a grid backer. Um, but that actually lets the, the, the face textile sit off your skin, promotes really good airflow. Got a little bit of warmth. Um, yeah, I've been fortunate. I hunted in, uh, Lanai in eight, April. March, March, maybe, um, after some axis deer and actually warm, you know, and it got, it got in the low eighties in the heat heat of the day, but you know, you had to be really quiet to get in on these critters, especially with very little wind at the time. And yeah, it did exceptionally well. So, yeah, like I said, I've been able to hunt it for a while now. Pretty, pretty excited how it came out. And then the mountain hauler is basically, um, kind of, it's it's kind of the pack i had in my head um for a for a large meat hauling mountain pack right so for the hunter who's you know hiking in and spending a couple days or uh you know going in for a day but wants to carry meat out on his back and uh it, it's uh it's 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 kind of my interpretation of what what a hunting pack should be and it's got a lot of unique features probably more than I could probably go into, but 6,200 total cubic inches, but the pack rides at 5,200 non-expanded in its traditional form. Everything, any traditional strap or anything you'd want to pick up is rated to 150 pounds. Um, The meat goes internal to the pack. So it's a stiff aluminum frame. Every critical connection point is connected directly to that frame for the most efficient transfer of, of weight in, um, the to the wearer Uh, but the meat goes inside with a load sling again directly connected to the frame and then um, you know how many times have we loaded up our packs and you got all the meat and then you're sitting there looking at the the head and hide and antlers and you're like geez how am i going to strap this to the pack so we saw that and just gave everybody um antler straps we call them so two i think they're 60 inch long Uh, antler straps that you girth itch onto the pack plenty of room to wrap twist tie you know elk and mule deer and and bear hides or whatever you got um, and strap them down to the pack really securely Uh, everything that you need when you kill is in sitka orange so the antler straps are sitka orange Uh, all the connection points you need are sitka orange the load sling straps are sitka orange so you know, when you're out there and your cognitive function's going down and it's cold or it's wet or you haven't eaten, um, you're in grizzly bear country, you're trying to do things with a headlamp. You know, I, I, never, I never appreciated all the straps being black or gray or whatever color they were. And it got all confusing to me. So I like to say the mountain hauler, uh, is simple, intuitive and functional. That's really what it came down to. Those were my design priorities. And, uh, I think we achieved that in a sub seven pound pack. And, um, I'm, I'm pretty stoked by that as well. I've gotten to carry a couple bulls out with it. Uh, very fortunate to do that. So, um, pretty excited to see, to see how it takes off that, you know, the the response so far has been really good.
1: That's awesome. Yeah, that I'm, I'm excited to, uh, to see some of these pieces in action myself this year and, and see what happens. I, I got an idea though, John. You're saying you carried out a couple bulls in it. How about you send me some of your luck with elk, and I'll give you some whitetail luck. Can can we
0: switch that? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm gonna have to think about that one. Maybe we could do that. Could we do that for like a year or two? <laughs>
1: yeah, I, honestly, just once I'll be good. You know, <laughs> I'll I'll try to figure it out from there. But
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, like I said, certain species for whatever reason, I don't want to say come easy, but Mm-hmm. you find more success than others it's kind of it's kind of interesting that way you know yeah um at least i i talk, guys i talk to it seems to kind of work out that way but yeah um i've i've had as many close
1: encounters as you can imagine in a couple years of elk hunting without without even releasing an arrow but uh some of it i look back and like how how didn't that work out but here i am yeah. and i'm <laughs> going back again so so I'll be heading back. Well, for... it
0: gets addicting. I mean, you're hunting dinosaurs when they're, when they're, when they're bugling and stuff. I mean, it's, it's such a, it's, I get such a primal feeling when I hunt elk. Like I might as well be a caveman with a spear in some regard, right? It's just like something just, it's like, I don't know, something just clicks in the DNA and you just like, I'm, I'm just like back in the stone age chasing dinosaurs.
1: Oh yeah. When, awesome. When I hear bugle and you just taken off after them and then whatever you know the scenario is it's just an a feeling that like i can't describe and that's that's why i yeah. even know that you know say 85 percent of the time you know you're you're tired you're wore out and all this stuff and you may not have action it's worth it for that you know even if it's a couple minutes of just mind-blowing action hunting elk in the rut it's just it's got me driven to go back and this year i'm going to be doing it for at least two weeks so just keep, right, I keep sl-
0: going back to Colorado?
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna go back to the same spot and and I've got to learn the area over the last few years and I think that uh this is my year. I'm I'm saying it's a hundred percent success rate, so
0: <laughs> Well there's a lot to be said for for learning the area, right? Yeah. And going back and, and knowing, oh, I bought I busted an elk here and this was his escape route and so if this same scenario is gonna happen, maybe I can cut him off this time and uh it'll happen. You know, you, you end up, you end up getting enough setups and scenarios and, you know, eventually they, they start to fall in place.
1: Yeah. I mean, I've screwed it up enough to, uh, hopefully I'll, you know, I'm learning from it and, and can change it. I mean, I've been able to find the elk and now it's just time to capitalize. And I'm, I'm really confident that this is my year. At least that's what I keep telling myself. So
0: yeah, it's going to end up good. Well, that, that, you know, kind of a mentor of mine that, that, kind of has been helping me cause I'm, I'm certainly no expert at it, but I've, I've had, I've had success every time I've, every season I've gone out, which I should knock on wood, but, uh, <laughs> but, you know, he told me, he said, you know, a lot of times success and failure on these animals is, is based on split second decisions. You know, that if there's any hesitation and, you know, you want to think about it, um, you know, sometimes that's, that's, all the delay it takes for that opportunity to kind of not present itself. And you almost say, he says, you know, you almost have to get to the point where you're, where you're working on, on, uh, on instinct and, and you're not, you're not thinking too much about it. You're just more reacting. And the one thing I've learned about elk is I was able to be far more aggressive with elk than I was with, say, mule deer. And certainly if I was coming from the whitetail background, um, it's a completely different ball game altogether. You know, it's like, you got to be super dead quiet. You got to keep, you know, I mean, obviously you can't, you can't not hunt the wind, but uh, you know, and you don't want to move and do this. And it's like elk are not whitetail. I mean, you have to be aggressive. Elk make a lot of noise. They they, you know, they they make noise talking to each other. They make noise walking and running and breaking limbs and stuff. And you can just get away with a lot more than you think. And you have to be a little bit aggressive. Um, and I wasn't the first, the first few years, you know, I was hunting elk like I would mule deer. And I kind of relate mule deer to being more, more surgical, right? Like a, like a sniper kind of thing mm-hmm. where, where elk is, where elk is a little bit more like you know an assault force, like you have to be a little aggressive and you, you can't be afraid to kind of push it a little bit um and then just you know take the first good opportunity that's presented, not the perfect one, but just the first good opportunity that presents itself and <laughs> it'll it'll happen that la- again, that last part from an expert perspective but yeah,
1: that last part you just said about a good opportunity rather than you know the perfect one is is what yeah. is what um you know learning as it's going through is you know there's when it whitetails it just i know when i need to draw and i can it's just you know i i just i don't know i've done it for a while now and i just feel like i i have that part down when it came to elk there's so many split second decisions when i should have drew and it didn't happen and right. i you know i missed that right. that split second window but anyways, John, I don't want to take up any more of your time here. We went uh, over the allotted uh, time that I said I'd take from you here, but man, that was... Oh, it's been fun, man. That was an awesome fun. conversation, and and I think we really got into into a, you know building a system and the importance of that all together. So I, I can't thank you enough for coming on here and talking to me about that.
0: Yeah, no, I appreciate the discussion. And like I, I told you before we jumped on the air, but... Um, you know, I'm excited for you in the podcast and and to see where you take it, but I just love the concept, Bo. I mean, there's so many folks that want to come out West and just have no idea even where to start and, um, and just the whole idea of eats meets West and, and what you're going to bring and, and to, you know, to your, to your listeners, uh, it's going to be exciting to see, and you're going to help a lot of people, man. So I'm stoked for you. I think this is a fantastic service that you are offering right now. Hey, I I
1: appreciate that. And like I said, when I was telling you earlier, I just, the biggest thing for me is it was such a life-changing experience for myself to be able to do that, that I want, I want to be able to have other people go through that same thing. And, and it just helps you in all aspects of it. And, and the listeners have heard me talk about that in my intro episode, but I can't stress it enough. When you do something like this, put yourself out of your comfort zone and, you know, head West per se it's it's life changing and it's it'll it's going to be hard, but it's doable and it teaches you a lot from from a personal standpoint as well as hunting. So definitely do that. And again, thanks, John, for those for the kind words.
0: Yeah, no, I appreciate it. I'm I'm guessing this is probably not going to be the last time we talk. So <laughs> no,
1: I, I I hope not. We'll have to we'll have to dig into some more things here. But uh, hunting season's coming up, so I'm I'm sure it'll be. It'd be after that when, uh, we can have a, a good recap of the season, right?
0: Yeah. Well, good luck to you, man. Um, remember to have fun and, and, uh, yeah, let's circle back and, and tell some, tell some stories.
1: All right. And I'll put, uh, I'll put links in the, in the podcast notes to everywhere where you can find out about sick gear and, um, and also the, the articles and videos that I was describing. So, all right, John, will you take cool. care?
0: Hi, right, Bo. You too.